0: Today's scripture is from Psalm 139, verses 1 to 6, 17 to 18, and 23 to 24. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down and are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. How precious to me are your thoughts, God! How vast is the sum of them! Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. The grass withers and the flowers fade.
1: This is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, especially if you're joining uh, us here for the first time for this long weekend, uh, I want to welcome you to our church. Uh, I also want to welcome back uh, our team that went to Japan that just got back here yesterday. If we can give it up for them. <laughs> um, They were sending me pictures of sushi all week and ramen. Uh, But if you don't know, uh, Japan is less than 1% Christian. It's actually 0.3%. And So the fact that we were able to send a team there uh, to partner with the missionaries that we're working with is great. And so if you're interested in that uh, in the future, we're also sending a team to Cambodia next month. Uh, There'll be opportunities for you to see what God is doing in, in other parts of the world as well. So stay tuned for that. Uh, if you are here joining us for the first time, uh, we started a collection of uh, sermons a few weeks ago that we've been titled, Winning Your Thought Wars. Uh, and this is a series that I've been wanting to do for the past few years, uh, because I think when it comes to our thought lives, oftentimes it feels like a thought war. And so our thoughts are typically a cocktail of good and bad thoughts positive and negative thoughts, uh, godly and ungodly thoughts. Uh, There was a study done a few years ago, I mentioned this uh, before, uh, where researchers at Queen's University, Ontario, in Ontario discovered that we have about 6,200 thoughts per day, and so our minds, or our brains, are constantly working. Even when we're sleeping, our brains are working 24-7. And our thoughts, uh, are typical, most of our thoughts are passing thoughts. They're not positive or negative per se. So most of our thoughts are passing thoughts like, what should I eat for lunch? Or what should I eat for dinner? Or what should I wear tomorrow? But there was another study that was done pretty recently uh, that discovered that on average, we do have about 11 negative thoughts per day. And so while 6,200 thoughts Kind of sounds like a lot. Eleven negative thoughts kind of sounds like too little. So thoughts like, um, I hate my job. I hate my coworkers and boss. I hate my apartment because it's so loud. I hate my parents. I hate my body. I hate my life. And it doesn't take a psychologist to know that when you baptize your imagination. With these negative thoughts over and over again. Uh, it's going to do something to your identity and the way that you think. And so, Proverbs 23.7 says this, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. And so, what this proverb is saying is, what you think shapes how you live. Okay. So, 10 years from now, when you look in the mirror, someone is going to be staring back at you. And the person that is staring back at you is a compilation and products of all the thoughts that you've had over the past 10 years. And so the question is, how healthy is that person going to be? And so let me ask you a question. Lately, how healthy has your thought life been? Lately. Or let me rephrase it. Lately, how... Godlike has your thought life been? Uh, In 1 Corinthians 2.16, the Apostle Paul says this, we have the mind of Christ. And so if you're a son and daughter of God, you have the mind of Christ. And what what he means by that is that you have the ability to think like Jesus. But here's the key to unlocking this mind. The key is this. If you want to think more like Jesus you first have to think more about Jesus. We're the product of the people that we spend the most time with, okay? So the more time we spend with God, the more we'll think like God. But the less time we spend with God, the less that we're gonna think like God. When we take a look at Psalm 139, uh, the entire corpus of the Psalms is about 150 chapters, but David wrote 73 chapters out of the 150 chapters. And so if there was ever a man that thought a lot about God and therefore thought like God, it was David. And so if you read with me again in verse one through five, it says this, David writes, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before. In these five verses alone, David uses the word you eight times in reference to God. And so here is a man whose thoughts are always directionally towards his true north. And because his thoughts are always oriented towards God, he's able to have God's perspective on his thoughts. One picture that uh, oftentimes gives me the right perspective, uh, I don't know if you've seen this picture before, uh, the slide after this, is this. This image always gives me perspective. And oftentimes when it comes to our negative thoughts, it feels like, whether it's anxiety or worry, it feels like it's bigger than the world that we live in. Sometimes even bigger than the sun itself. But when we orient our thoughts towards our true north, the creator of the universe, and cosmos that we live in, the very one who holds the earth and the sun in the palm of his hands. When we orient our thoughts towards God, it gives us his 10,000-foot perspective on our thoughts when we often lose our way. And so the question that I do want to ask for every one of us is this. If you do a careful inventory of your thought life, In your typical day-to-day, do you create a space or a pocket of the day where you intentionally think about God every day? And the reason why I say do you intentionally create a space or pocket of the day where you think about God is this. If you don't intentionally do that, if you don't plan your day, your day will plan you. And before you know it, the day is over. And then you'll start a new day unplanned and then your day will plan you, and then the day will be over. And then you'll start another day unplanned, and then your day will plan you, and then the day will be over. And around and around we go. Do you do anything right now in your typic- the typical cadence and rhythms of your life where you're creating a pocket, the sacred space, where you're intentionally thinking about your thoughts? being directionally aimed at your true north. And what's so fascinating about Psalm 139 is that even though oftentimes our thoughts are not towards God, what we read in Psalm 139 is that God is always thinking about you. So if you take a look at verse 1 through 5 one more time, uh, I want you to look at these other words. You have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You have me in, behind, and before. What's so powerful about these verses is that there are 8 billion people in this world. 360,000 babies that are born every single day. And God not only knows your name in the midst of all the people there are, but God not only knows your name, He knows every single thing about you. Amazing. As a pastor, one of the the saddest things that I sometimes hear in counseling is whenever someone says, nobody knows me. Nobody understands me. Nobody gets me. Or i have no friends it's like one of the most heartbreaking things that I, I i sometimes hear and if we're all honest there are seasons of all of our lives where we feel misunderstood or like invisible no one knows what we're going through i mean if i were to ask all of us the question how many people really know you like your cobwebs the worst things not just the best things but the worst things about you how many people would that be? 20? 10? 5? 1? 0? We're very good at presenting a curated version of ourselves, but how many people really, really know the depths of your soul, the skeletons in the closet? I don't know, but here is one thing that I do know. That even if no one might... Be familiar with you from top to bottom. There is a God that knows every single thing about you. And so if there's one thing that I want you to know, I want you to know that he knows what you're going through and what you're thinking. One triggering uh, message that ministry leaders uh, often get, and it's ministry leaders across the country. One triggering message is the message, hey, can we get coffee sometime? Or hey, can we meet up, or, hey, do you have a minute, can we talk? And the reason why I say it's very triggering is because if that's the extent of the message and there's no explanation as to why you want to meet up, uh, we're in the dark. And after the past three years of all the mental health issues that we've all faced, um, it's hard not to expect the worst sometimes when you are entering into those conversations. And I remember someone did the hey can we get coffee sometime thing to me and they didn't say anything more than that and so i said sure let's get let's get coffee and uh, i remember when we were uh, about to meet i was thinking in my head please god don't let it be this or don't let it be that please don't let it be something crazy and and so i trepidatiously walk into the meeting because i don't know what the other person's thinking so i'm sitting there thinking please don't let it be something crazy and they say to me, you know, hey, how's it going? I'm like, good. You know, what's going on? Are you okay? And they are like, yeah. they were like, yeah, everything's great. I just wanted to talk about dating. And I was like, dating? It's <laughs> like, that's it? <laughs> yeah, let's talk about dating. <laughs> but the reason why I'm saying that is because I don't know, as humans, we don't know what each other, you know, we don't know what we're thinking. And so a few things. Whenever you ask someone to meet for professional advice or personal advice, always go to them, don't make them come to you. But secondly, always tell them why you want to meet. Because people are not mind readers, right? Tell them why, it could be very brief. But thirdly, do seek out counsel, do seek out advice, do seek out wisdom. You know why I say that? Because you might feel like no one knows you, but you know what? You don't even know yourself. We are strangers to our own emotions and feelings. And if we don't have other people, like counselors and friends that are wiser than us, help process what we're thinking and feeling, you're going to be a stranger to yourself and what you're feeling. This is why we do things like Myers-Briggs and Enneagram and Shrink Finders, right? Because we want to help. We want to know ourselves better because we're strangers to ourselves. And so this is the benefit of, um, Uh, seeking out counsel and wisdom. In Luke 6 and in chapter 11, it says this, but Jesus knew what they were thinking. In chapter 11, Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them. So the fact that Jesus knows what we're thinking, on the one hand, can be very scary because he knows everything that we're thinking. On the other hand, if you're a child of God, it can be very comforting because he knows everything that you're thinking. So a few weeks ago, I was trying to pray, and I was in my living room, uh, sitting on the couch in the dark, in silence, just trying to pray. And I remember, I was, as I was trying to pray, um, like no words were coming out of my mouth. And a part of it is just like all these thoughts, like convoluted thoughts in my head. And it was just very difficult to pray. It's not that I didn't want to pray. I wanted to pray, but it was very difficult for any words to come out of my mouth. And then I read something like Psalm 139, where it says, Before a word is even on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. And I would take it even a step further. Not only before a word is on my tongue, but even when words can't make it to my tongue. Lord, you know it completely. How mindful are you that God is always mindful of you? that he doesn't just think about things in general, but he thinks about you specifically and everything that you're going through. And so whatever you're going through, I always want you to know that he knows. And this causes David to fall down on his knees in worship. And in verse 6 and 17, it says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Psalm 139 is not a commentary on God's omniscience. Psalm 139 is a worship song, first and foremostly, that David is singing to God. It's a worship song. His mind is not only blown away by God's omniscience, but his heart is on fire for God, too, because of his omniscience. The longest distance in the world is not from New York City to Australia. The longest distance in the world is from here to right here, from your head to your heart. It's one thing to know something, but it's another thing to really find something valuable and precious, to have your heart on fire for it. Even demons know who Jesus is. But they don't find them valuable and precious but when you take a look at this verse what does david say how precious to me are your thoughts oh god how precious so next month uh our family we're moving for the sixth time in eight years Uh, we live in the upper west side right now but uh, we're going to be moving back to k-town next month and so one of the things that we do when, whenever we're moving is we, we try to purge stuff, and we sell it, and Marketplace is awesome for it. So we're on Marketplace all the time, and it's crazy how one person's trash is another person's treasure, right? But you know what? There are times where one person's treasure, other people consider us trash. <laughs> so we're trying to sell four chairs for $100, zero bites, not even $25 per chair, right? it's because other people don't find that thing precious because they don't value it the way we value it. We consider something precious based upon how much value and worth we give to that thing. And what David is saying here is, how precious to me are your thoughts, oh God? How valuable and worthy are your thoughts? People will die for things like diamonds and gold. But what the psalmist is saying here is that God's thoughts are even more precious than that. And to be honest, oftentimes for me at least, I find other people's thoughts and what they think more precious to me than what God thinks. Sometimes it could, be, for you, it could be your parents and what they think. It could be a social demographic that you want to be accepted by. You find what they think more uh, important than what God thinks. It could be your peers and friends. You consider what they think more precious to you than what God thinks. But all of us sort of battle with that. And, and you might be here saying, you know what, I'm at a point in my life where I'm mature now, and I don't really care what other people think. And if that's you, that's great, But I do want to follow that up with another question. You might not care anymore what other people think, but can I ask you this? Do you care more about what you think than what God thinks? You know what the Apostle Paul says? Apostle Paul says, I don't care what other people think, but you know what? I don't even care what I think. The only thing that I care about is actually what God thinks. And that's the perspective that we all need. And once you have his perspective and you're able to think like him, and once you find his thoughts precious, you know what that does? It reframes how you think about things. So I want you to take a look at this next image. I want you to imagine that this image, um, for those of you who are listening online it's in, uh, later, it's going to be, it's, it's a picture of both um, a thunderstorm and sunshine, OK? so. I want you to imagine that this image is a thought. Now, behind every thought, in order for that thought to make sense, you need a story behind that thought. So there needs to be some kind of story attached to that thought in order to help us frame that thing the right way. Okay, so I want you to imagine that this is a thought. And I want to give you three examples of what counselors and therapists refer to as reframing. Okay, so here's the first example. Uh, I want you to imagine for a moment you failed at something. Okay, we've all failed at something at one point or another, but here's how you're thinking. Because I failed at this, I'm a nobody, I'm a loser, and I have no future. And because I failed at this, the way that other people look at me is with disrespect instead of respect, and I'm never going to be the person I want to be. So this is how you're thinking. And so you're framing that thought of failure this way. Or what you could do is to take a look at your failures and reframe it so that the frame is now over there. So the way that now you're looking at your failure is this. I may have failed at this, but God is going to use my failure to prepare me for the next thing. And had I not experienced that failure, I would not be ready for this next thing. But there's something about this failure that produced in me character and moxie to be able to handle that next thing. Do you see the difference between those two things? All right, let me give you another example. Uh, Let's say you're single, and you feel deeply insecure about your singleness, and you feel very incomplete because you're single. And you're never going to be complete until you get married. All right, so the way that you look at yourself is like someone that is always being left behind in a life stage while all your friends are passing you. So this is the way that you look at yourself. Or you can reframe your singleness to see that your status is not based upon whether you're married or not, but your status is based upon being a child of God. That there is nothing about you that is incomplete, but in Christ you are fully complete. And you don't need another You don't have to hinge yourself to another sinner to be complete because you already have a relationship with Christ. All right, I'll give you another example. Uh, Let's say you hate somebody. There is someone that you really dislike, and you can't be in the same room with them because your blood boils whenever you're around them. So you have these negative thoughts about that person. So you can frame it that way, or you can reframe it so that you remember that God tells us to even love, not like, but love our enemies, because while we were enmity at enemies with God, He loved us as well. So a lot of this is about framing, but we can't frame things the right way unless we understand how God thinks. The f- our filter has to be the gospel. Our minds are storytelling uh, beings, uh, and they're always going to tell us a story about how to think and how to frame things, but we have to be able to frame things the right way. If you don't, you're gonna look for other salvation techniques. So you're gonna look for techniques like, I have this negative thought, and I don't know how to reframe it, so here's what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna drink it away, I'm gonna eat this negative thought away, I'm gonna sleep this negative thought away, I'm gonna numb this negative thought away. So we're always gonna be looking for salvation techniques to handle the negative, uh, the thoughts that we have. But here's the thing, you do, if you have the mind of Christ, you do have the power to reframe how you think about things. And here's the key. If you want to think more like Jesus, you have to think more and more about Jesus. This is why the theologian A.W. Tozer once said, what a person thinks about God is the most important thing about that person. The question is, what do you think about God? David, in wrapping up, he says in verse 23 and 24, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me, and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You know, when you go to an airport, there are always these like body scanners that can see through your clothes, but there are no thought scanners at airports. And what this verse, what these verses are saying is that God is like a thought scanner. He can see all of our thoughts. And the idea that someone can read all of our thoughts can be a very scary thing, right? In Hebrews, it says this, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So it's verses like this that uh, prohibited uh, or inhibited uh, existentialist philosophers like Jean-Paul Sartre from becoming a Christian. So in Sartre's famous essay, Being and Nothingness, there's a section in Being and Nothingness called The Look. And in this essay, Sartre says there's a man that is looking through a keyhole in a door, and he sees other people on the other side of the door. And he can see them, but they can't see him. And because of that, this man feels a voyeuristic sense of power because he can see them, but they can't see him. But what's interesting is that all of a sudden, the man hears footsteps behind him. And now he realizes that he's not the unviewed viewer, but he himself is being viewed by someone else. And the moment he realized that he himself was also being looked at or gazed at, that power, that voyeuristic power that he thought he had was now stripped away from him. And he was like, that's God. God is the unviewed viewer. He's the all-seeing eye, that never blinks, even for a second. And Sartre didn't like the idea of not having that power, that power being stripped away from him because of that look, the, the all-seeing gaze of Jesus, uh, God. And so this is why um, whenever we do something wrong, it's very hard for us to look at the eyes at the eyes of the other person because there's something about that look that exposes us and makes us feel very naked. And so Sartre was like, I can't, I can't believe in God because I don't want that power to be relinquished from me. Matthew Perry, um, who I've been quoting a lot lately, um, famously known as Chandler, uh, in his autobiography, Friends, Lovers, and the Big Terrible Thing, Perry writes this. Most of the time, I have these nagging thoughts. I'm not enough. I don't matter. I am too needy. These thoughts make me uncomfortable. I need love, but I don't trust it. If I drop my game, my Chandler, and show you who I really am, you might notice me, but worse. You might notice me and leave me. And I can't have that. I won't survive that, and it will turn me into a speck of dust and annihilate me. And so this is the tension that we all face, because on the one hand, we all want to be fully known, do we not? But our fear is, that if someone fully knows who we are, they're not going to like what they see. And so they're going to reject us, right? So I want you to imagine for a moment that, um, I don't know how many of you are journal writers, but I want you to imagine for a moment that the journal that you write in every day, you you lose it in the park. And someone finds it. And they don't know who it belongs to, so they can't return it to you. But they start reading, Your journal, how would you feel? Exposed, right? You feel very naked because they're reading your innermost thoughts. But now I want you to imagine this scenario. As that person is reading your journal, even the dark cobwebs, the darkest thoughts that you have, the most private things that you don't want anyone to know, something strange begins to happen. The person that is reading your journal doesn't condemn you or judge you, but they begin to fall more and more in love with you. Tim Keller, he once said that love, being loved without being known, is superficial. But being fully known and not loved is our greatest fear. Let me just say that again. Being loved but not known is superficial. But being known... And not loved, that's our greatest fear. But being fully known and fully loved, well, that is a lot like being loved by God. And the greatest proof of that is the cross. The reason why we're accepted is because on the cross, Jesus was rejected. On the cross, he who knew no sin became sin for us. And now the way that God sees us all the way from the top to the bottom. Once before, that frame was on that dark cloud. But now the way that he looks at us, it's reframed as one of his children. And the reason for that is because at the end of the day, Jesus found every one of us precious. And we know how much value we have because he didn't pay 100 bucks for us. He didn't even pay $1,000 for us but he paid for us with the cost of his life. You were his precious pearl. And so when Jesus looks at you, he sees the depths of your heart now, but he still loves you all the way to the moon. And when someone fully knows you and yet fully accepts you and loves you anyway, that is what God does for us, and you know what? That's what we also need to do for other people to fully know other people, yet fully love them. Nobody likes to know it all because they think they know everything. But God truly knows it all, and He still loves us anyway. And the kind of community we want to be is one that reflects our Father's heart, where we fully know one another, and yet are fully loved. So open up your lives to others so that they can see you. Open up your life to God as well. And the last thing I'll say is if you really want to think like God, you have to think more about him. And so one practical habit that you could implement starting tomorrow morning before your day plans you is that I know 99% of us, the first thing we do in the morning is to open our phone. Make that first app you click on, not the weather app, not Instagram, not TikTok or any other newsfeed. Make that first app that you click A Bible app or some kind of uh, devotional app and read it until you feel like your thoughts are directionally facing towards your true north. It could be one verse. It might take you 10 chapters, but read it until you, you feel like your thoughts are calibrated in the right way. And when you think like him, you'll be able to frame all of your other thoughts the rest of the day. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for um, giving us uh, the mind of Christ. Help us to do the best that we can to unlock it um, by thinking more and more about you. And I'm also praying that you would give us the power to reframe our negative thoughts uh, to positive ones in light of the gospel. May the gospel always be our filter. Help us to see things and think things the way that you see things and the way that you think about things as well. Help us to be mentally, emotionally, spiritually healthy to reflect more and more of you. Help us to find your thoughts precious to us, oh God. Recalibrate us in your name I pray, amen.